The fifth, sixth, and seventh chapters of Matthew is what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. It begins in chapter 5, and it actually ends at the twelfth verse of chapter 7. If you have read this and spent much time with it, you know that it is an eye-opening life-changing, most provocative message that's ever been proclaimed. Men listened to it and they couldn't understand. This was so contrary to everything that they had heard. And Jesus Christ, when he gets to the seventh chapter... Verses 13 and 14, he comes to the invitation of his message. He's been leading up to this through these other two and a half chapters. And he comes to verses 13 and 14. Now, unlike most of us Baptist pastors, he didn't say, you all come running down the aisle. He said, you stop and count what it's going to cost before you sign up. You have your Bibles to chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. I'm going to ask you to stand as I read aloud these two passages of Scripture. You listen to them as God speaks. Beginning in verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Two gates. Two roads, two destinations, two different groups of people. Pretty simple. Only two to choose from. Father, this morning, as we look at your word, my prayer is that your Holy Spirit would make the difference and what a man can say, and what you do in a person's heart. Father, as we remember in Scripture, those through faith and patience who inherited your glorious promises, help us as we follow and emulate what they have left for us as the one who leads us forward into your glory, we pray that we will listen to your precious Son and your Holy Spirit as you speak. And I pray, Father, that the power of your Spirit and the majesty of your presence will fill this room and take captive every heart this morning. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. Life seems to concentrate 
or focus itself at the crossroads of man as we look at it. Ever since you were old enough to make an independent decision, you've been making decisions every day, this way or that way. But there comes a time in all of our lives where there will be an ultimate decision made, the most important that you will ever make, because it not only determines time, but it determines eternity. And God says, that's the decision that I'm pushing for right now. That's what it is all about. And if you look at God's Word, and I'm not going to read all the passages there on your outline, but there's some of them you see that God's plan has always been to bring man to that crossroad, to make that decision. In fact, in Deuteronomy 30, verses 15 and 19, God's Word says... See, I have set before you today life and prosperity and death and adversity. And then he goes on to say, Choose life in order that you may live and your descendants also. Choose life. Jeremiah came back with the same thing in verses 21, or chapter 21, verse 8. Jeremiah says, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. God is pushing for a decision, for a choice that we are to make. You remember Simeon when he took that baby Jesus in his hand and he raised him up, I believe, lifted him up to the heavens. He said this in Luke 2, verse 34, Behold, this child is set for the fall and the rise of many in Israel and many in Madisonville. That's who we're talking about. This is the one. Now there's some things about this message and about this invitation that you can't do. The Sermon on the Mount, God doesn't want your, your admiration. It is the greatest message ever preached. No man will ever preach a message like that the most provocative. But God's not out for your or my admiration. Another thing that you can't do, God says you are not to push this off into some far yonder tomorrow. You have to make a decision today. You're going to be confronted with it today. And so you have to make that decision today. It demands a choice. That's what Christ is saying. There's a choice that you have to make. Now, here's what Christ did. In the Sermon on the Mount, he began to say, I have come to establish a kingdom. And the kingdom will be like this. He laid down the principles that those who were a part of his kingdom would abide by. He laid them out all through that sermon. And when he gets to the invitation, he's saying, now you know what the king demands in the kingdom. You know what has to be done, the payments you have to make. So you be sure before you decide if you want to become a part of this kingdom. That's what he's saying. You make sure if you want to be a part Now let me tell you what the contrasts are. 
You'll not see these in those two verses unless you look real close. The contrast is not between declared God-hating pagans and God's followers. That's not the contrast. Jesus Christ, when he preaches this message, he preaches to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, some of the most churched people you can understand and ever know. The contrast is not between that. The contrast, listen carefully, is between divine righteousness and self-righteousness. Either I can do it on my own and I don't need God, or I can't do it on my own and I strip myself of all my self-righteousness. That's the contrast. So I want you to understand, you're in here because you're not a God-hater. I'm in here because I'm not a God-hater. So the contrast is between self-righteousness and divine righteousness. What God will do and does. That's what the contrast is all about. Now, most of us believe that if you give us a set of rituals, if you give us some things we're supposed to do, that we can make it on our own. We know what to do. We do a little bit of this, we'll do a little bit of that, and we'll be okay. We'll con- we will uh, convince our, our thinking, our conscience, that we're okay, and so that's what we'll be doing, he is saying. But that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about self-righteousness versus divine righteousness, that which God gives us. The Pharisees, the Sadducees in Paul's day were shocked when the Apostle Paul said in Romans 3 verse 20, speaking to these, By the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. You can't be justified. You can't get good enough. You cannot make it into God's heaven by all the things you plan to do that make you feel better than you really are. That's what he's saying. So, God says, I want you to understand before you decide if you want to be a part of this kingdom or you don't. You need to know. You see, the law came to shut our mouths. We can't do it. But here's what happened. When the law came and we looked in at the law, most of us decided that we would make our own law. I will make a law that will accommodate all I want to do in my life and I'll not feel guilty about it. And so God says, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Divine righteousness, not self-righteousness. So there's a choice to be made. And we're going to look at this very close this morning. And I want you to listen carefully to what God is saying to us. I want you to know we're utterly hopeless in our own right and ability to become what God wants us to be. So I want you to notice that and see it from God's Word this morning as we look at it. Two ways. The broad gate and the broad way. 
the narrow gate and the narrow way. Just two ways. In fact, the rest of this chapter is about twos. The rest of the chapter seven. Two ways, two things, two choices that you are to make. And Jesus Christ is pressing for a decision that you and I will make. So I want you to see. Hope you have your outlines. Hope you'll fill that out. And I want us to look at this. There are two sets of contrast, and we're going to look at those this morning. And I want you to see those in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. I want you to see, first of all, we're going to look at the two gates. Verse 13 says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide. Two gates right there that we see. There's a narrow gate, and there is a wide gate, he's saying. And let me tell you something about these gates. Over the gates is a sign. Over both gates. Now listen carefully. And both gates say, this way to heaven. Ken, is that in the Bible? Yes. Let me tell you something. Satan's too smart to put this way to hell over the wide gate. He don't do that. He's sharp. So both gates say this way to heaven. When people go through those gates, they want to get to heaven. That's their desire, whether it's by their self-righteousness or whether they take the narrow gate by God's righteousness. They want to get there. And so I want you to keep that in mind. First of all, the Bible says, on your outline, it says you must enter. Look at verse 13 again, the very first word. And my translation is enter. It's an imperative. Because let me tell you something. When you see this for the first time, and you're aware of this for the first time, I want you to understand you're not on the right path. You're on the wrong path. That's how we start. That's how I got my start and how you got your start. And God is saying, enter. Enter. It's an imperative that you and I enter. You can't just stand back and admire it and wonder how wonderful it is and all those things about it. You and I are to enter it. Enter that gate. You must enter it. The narrow gate, the narrow way. He's saying, if you're going to be in my kingdom, this is what it calls for. This is what you have to do. You come as a beggar. I come as a beggar. And God says, this is the gate I want you to choose. The gate that gets you into my kingdom. Let me tell you something. Hell will be filled with people who admire the Sermon on the Mount and the principles that God stands for. You need to understand that. So enter, he says, you must enter. Second thing that I want you to see on your outline this morning, I want you, he says, you must enter this gate. You must enter this gate. Verse 13, enter through the narrow gate. Enter through the narrow gate. Jesus tells us there's a wide gate. 
But he doesn't say enter that gate because we're already on it. We've gone through that gate. We're on that broad way. But he says, enter the narrow gate. You can't stand outside and decide. You're to enter that. You can't look at it and say, you know, that's really great. And I look at all of that and I think that's what I want. But I'm going to stand here and admire it. I'm not going to enter that. Christianity doesn't give you the choice of anything else except that gate. Enter the narrow gate. That's the only way. Whether you like it or I like it or I don't, that's what we have to do. In fact, God's word, you know, Acts 4 verse 12, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved or given among men whereby we must be saved. Only way. So we are to enter that. Jesus Christ calls himself the door. He calls himself the gate. He says he is the way. This is the only way that he's doing that. And let me tell you something. God has the holy right to choose how you and I get to heaven. And this is the way he chose. I want you to look at number three on your outline. You must enter alone. You must enter alone. If you study the word nara in the Greek, you begin to understand how nara nara is. Or restricted. Let me tell you how you may best understand that. You could understand that maybe by remembering what it's like to go through a turnstile gate where only one goes through at a time. You've been through those. Or maybe where there is a metal detector. Only one goes through at a time. No one else goes through with you. You go through one at a time. That's where you get in that. You've been through those. So that's what this means. This gate is so narrow, you can't go through with a bunch of people. You go by yourself. That's the way you do it. There is no other way. And in fact, God tells us it's narrow for a reason, so that no one else can go through. You know, if you live in this nation and have lived here very long, you know how powerful herd mentality is. Most of us do everything we do because somebody else is doing it. We've signed up because everybody's got to have one of these. Everybody's doing one of these. And I make my decisions by how everybody else is making their decisions. And God simply says, you come along. You come through by yourself. You cannot come with the herd mentality. Listen, salvation, salvation is intensely individual. Intensely individual. It's yours and yours alone, and no one else can be a part of that. So there is God telling us, enter. Enter through this gate. And he says, you're to enter alone. You're to enter alone. All of a sudden, I have to step out on my own. I cannot depend on anybody else. Now I want to give you the fourth one. And most Baptists think I'm a heretic. 
So I'll preach it, and you can decide you can throw me out or whatever you want to do after this is over with. But I want you to listen to what I'm about to say. You must enter the gate with difficulty. Let me put it in a way you understand. It is not easy to be saved. That just shakes Baptists off their foundation. Don't tell me it's not easy to be saved. I've been told you can walk down an aisle during an invitation. They have to be playing music. I've been told I can walk down here. I can say something to somebody in the front. I can pray a prayer. I can fill out a card. I go get baptized, and I got it all locked down. Don't you tell me, Kent, it's hard to be saved. I'm telling you it's hard to be saved. I'm going to tell you how I know that. It is difficult to be saved. That's what he's saying in his word. Look at Matthew 14. It says in that, Matthew 14, and those who find it are few. You won't find it unless you're looking for it. And you won't find it unless God points it out to you. It's difficult to be saved. I want you to understand that. We keep saying because Satan keeps whispering in our ear, you can get saved whenever you want to. It's not hard to do. That church will take you anytime you walk down that aisle. But, oh, friend, I want to tell you something. What has happened to too many of us is we've come that way, and we've filled our churches, but I want to tell you something. We've got a lot of people who have never come through the narrow gate. I know they don't like that. Our churches are full of them. We've filled our churches with them. It's very difficult, God tells us. That's his word. Psalm 16 tells us, verse 11, you will show me the path of life. If God doesn't show me the path of life, I'll never know where it is. That's what he's telling me. It's difficult. The Old Testament prophet in Deuteronomy 4, verse 29 said, you will find him if you search for him with all your heart and all your soul. But you won't find him otherwise. It's what God's word's telling us. It's difficult to be saved. What am I trying to say? Listen carefully. Nobody ever slipped and fell into heaven. It don't happen like that. It happens with much difficulty. Why are you saying that, Kent? What's difficult about it? We've been praying, we've been singing about God and his precious love, and it's true. But what makes it difficult? What makes it so difficult? Let me tell you what makes it difficult. I want to share this with you. Luke 13, verse 24. Strive. You know what strive means? That means you work. You work hard at it. You strive. Striving is not easy. Strive to enter through the narrow door for many... I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. They won't be able. You know why they won't be able? Ken, I thought God would save anybody that trusts him. Oh, he will. But let me tell you why it will be hard. Because they'll be forced to set aside their unbelief. They'll be forced to turn their back to their sin. And most people, when they get to that point, standing before that narrow gate, say, I don't think I want to go through that. That's not where I want to be. I'm satisfied where I am. 
That's the reason it's hard to be saved. That's the reason it's hard to find that gate and to go through that gate because we believe we can do it. If I do a few little things, I'll be in there and it'll be okay. Strive, agonize, fight, struggle, it says, to get in that gate. Goodness, what he says to enter that gate. Many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. They'll seek to enter, but will not be able. That's what he's saying. Goodness. We long for God to change our life. And we want God to do these things in our life, but we're not willing to give up what he says. You remember the rich young ruler? couldn't get through because he's trying to carry some baggage with him. You don't get through carrying baggage. I want you to look at number five on your outline. You must enter stripped. Stripped. You can't go through with your goodness. You can't go through with your abilities. You can't go through with your charismatic personality, you go through stripped. That rich young ruler, he believed that his self-righteousness, he'd kept all the commandments, he said. He believed that his money would get him in, and God told him, you don't get through with that kind of baggage. You have to leave your baggage. You don't take your baggage through those turnstiles. You go along, you go stripped of everything else. Stripped of self, you go with your conviction, you go with your brokenness over your sin, but you strip everything else off, and that's what you do. You don't go through with anything else. Those who long for God to change their life, for the kingdom of God, for those who are broken over their sin and their lifestyle, they know their life has to be changed. You will find tribulation. And Jesus is saying, that's what's happening when you go through this gate. It's not going to be easy. It's a narrow gate, and you go through agonizing. You enter stripped, he says. All of it has to be left behind. Friend, if you didn't come that way, I want to give you some knowledge. You're not on the right path. You're not on the right path at all. You don't go that way unless you do that. It's a radical admission of sinfulness. Look at number six on your outline. You must enter repentant. You cannot enter unless you are repentant. Unless you're willing to walk away from all those sins. Listen to what Charles Haddon Spurgeon said. You and your sin must separate or you and your God will never come together. No one sin must you keep. They must all be taken out or brought out like the Canaanitish kings and hanged in the sun. That's what he's saying. If you're going to go through this gate. 
listen, you go through repentance. And the last day on your outline, you go through that gate with total surrender, giving it all to Christ. Total surrender. That's what he's talking about. Salvation is marked by a chained life. Salvation is not an addition, it's a transformation. And that's the reason you go through with that going on in your life, with total, total surrender to God, not holding on to anything. That's what he's talking about. That's the narrow gate. Not much to say about the wide gate. He just simply says that there is a wide gate and that the way is easy. That leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. Let me tell you about the wide gate. You're already on the wide gate if you've never done what God says has to be done with your self-righteousness and gotten on the narrow gate. When you get on the wide gate, you can go through with all the friends you want to. There's room enough for all the way, all the lifestyle that you want to take with you. You'll even find people on the wide gate that will tell you they love Jesus. That might even make you feel better. When you go through that wide gate, you're going to find out that there is nothing to hem you in. There's nothing to give you in problems. It's like a dead fish floating down the stream. Very little effort. You can do whatever you want to on that wide, through that wide gate and the wide way, the broad way. There's no limits to what you want to do and what you want to be. Your heart's content will be fed on that wide gate. And boy, that's wonderful when you look at it from the flesh. No need for moral standards. The Bible calls that wide gate in Ephesians 14, 12, or Ephesians 2, 2 rather, the course of this world. It's where the whole world is at. And there's many on that gate. Many on that gate. But let me tell you the tragedy, the utter tragedy of all this about the Broadway. There's a way that seems right to man, but the end thereof is death. The end is death. Let me tell you about the narrow way as we close. Not only do you go through a narrow gate, but now listen, the way is hemmed in. The way is hemmed in. You know what it means to have curbs where you hem something in? The way is hemmed in. And you know. You know about that narrow way. In fact, verse 14 says again, For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. The way is hard. It's going to be hard. It's not going to get easier. In fact, it's getting tougher. And you can be sure when you're on that narrow gate that the chastening hand of God will bring you back in line when you get out of line. That's confidence that you belong to him. He chastens us in that. In fact, the Bible says, Paul says, you must walk circumspectly. That means you stand up straight. You don't veer to the left or to the right. 
When you do, God chastens his children. He brings us back into line, and it's tough at times. But I want to tell you something, friend. As you go through that, you know his grace and forgiveness and restoration. You know that. There is joy in that. Joy in that. Now, before you come, you consider the cost. He told him in Luke, you've got to love me more than you love your husband, your wife, your children, your family, anything else. He uses the word hate in comparison. You think about that before you come. And I can read minds, some of them. Some of you are saying, that don't sound exciting at all to me. I want to tell you, pastor, preacher, I have a lot more fun than that. Why would I want to take on something like that? Why would I want to be a part of that? Why would I want to live my life like that? Well, let me tell you something. The Bible says that that hard way, that narrow way, that closed-in way is really carried by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. The Bible says, he's speaking, my burden is light, my yoke is easy. You see, Christ in you and Christ in me, which is what happens when you walk through that narrow gate, is the power in me through Jesus Christ to follow him. That's the reason it can be done, as God gives us that grace to do it. But it becomes hard because when you stand before that narrow gate... I want you to know that the moment you take a step across the threshold of that narrow gate, you declare hell on Satan and all of his being. You've declared war and you're going to pay for it. But you have a battle armor that will give you what you need for the battle you're going to be in. Now let me remind you something about something right here. We're going to have an invitation, but I want to tell you, this is where it's hard to get saved. You may hear God speak to you this morning, and you may be thinking all the reasons why you cannot go. And I want to tell you, that's when being saved becomes hard. That's the reason that most people never go through the narrow gate. That's the reason most people choose the broad way. Because it's a lot less resistance and a whole lot more fun in your carnal nature. So now the battle starts. But I want to tell you this morning, you're here in this place this morning simply and totally because God brought you here. He wants you to make a choice to come off that broad way and get on that narrow way this morning. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're getting ready to have our invitation. I want to tell you this morning, there are two gates. You're on that broad gate, that broad way right now. You can choose to stay there or you can walk out of that by the grace of God, and you can say, I 
want Christ. I want life, not death. That's your choice. Father, this morning, I pray for that man, that woman, that young person that you're speaking to. Father, there may be people who have been a member of this church for a long time, but recognize that they're on the broad way. They've never made a total surrender. They've never laid all the baggage aside. They have never entered that narrow gate. And they hear your call again. Father, I pray they would not say no. And Father, I pray for those who have never given this much thought that this morning you would speak to their hearts. You would touch their lives. And Father, they could not say no. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As we sing this morning, I'm inviting you to say yes, and I'm going to invite you to say it publicly. I don't know what God may be speaking to you about.